Hey there, everybody, and welcome to The Game of Your Life, the podcast that celebrates all things nerdy, nostalgic, and most importantly, my favorite medium, video games. This week, we've got Tom Short on. Tom, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate um, you valuing my opinion enough to record it. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of it is just like, I mean, uh, I I love what you do comedy-wise, and I feel like we've always gotten along, and... As far as if someone like that just mentions a game that I really want to talk about, it's like, done. Can we record this tomorrow? Uh, well, you say that, but it happened two weeks ago, so I'm obviously not that special. <laughs> well, no, because the thing is, I with a lot of these, if I can get my hands on it, I really try to get a run-through in. So, although I did have that conversation two weeks ago, I've been playing Fallout for the past two weeks, trying to get some insights I didn't have before. Oh, same here. Um, ever since uh, we got the date locked in, um, I downloaded it on on the PC for like the first time ever, and like not to be all PC master race, but like it's definitely the way it should be played. <laughs> yeah, I'm playing it the way it should not be played on the PS Now, which is like I, I didn't. I only have found out about it recently, but it's like Netflix for PlayStation games. Yeah, so I didn't get any of the DLC in this last run or anything, but I also didn't really beat it. I didn't touch any of the storyline. I just sort of went into, you know, find any extra stuff and have fun running around. Yeah, well, I think that the extra stuff is better than the main story. Yeah, I do too. It's sort of like Oblivion in that way. Uh, But before we get too deep into the game, uh, I I want to talk to you a bit about the type of comedy you do. Uh, how, How would you describe it? Sorry, I guess like... Not physical comedy, but... Well, some people describe it as prop comedy, and I don't I don't think it's prop comedy. Um, and yeah, I don't think it's physical. Um, it's I think the closest way to describe it is improvised clowning. Um, I, like, I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and like, the thing is, even that doesn't quite work, because like, most clowning is improvised, and most improv is kind of clowning. It kind of came about because... Like, um, so I do the stuff with the wheel on stage, um, and that came about, uh, so like for people who've not seen it, I like go on stage with a wheel, uh, 24, uh, options on the wheel and whatever the wheel lands on, like dictates what happens next in the, in the routine. And the reason why I did that was because, uh, like fake improv and like, uh, you know, comedians who do like the same like they'll do like the same improvised bit every night. Oh yeah, like when they go to crowd work, but then they're looking for a specific like <laughs> phrase to be said. Yeah, like they'll go to like a bald man in the audience and be like, "God, I can, I can, uh, I can tell the future off your head," or <laughs> you know that kind of thing. And, yeah. it, and like I don't know because I'm not like I've not been like a, a regular audience member for for many years now so I don't know like I'm sure for most audiences it comes across as like like completely spontaneous and that's fine but I thought the stuff that I do is like very spontaneous but how do I kind of signpost that it is spontaneous versus that which um could or could not be spontaneous right so yeah you sort of force yourself into this position where you have to do the thing the wheel lands on i guess yeah and and because like so some people have said to me oh why don't you get like a like an electronic timer you know like a you know an app on your phone or whatever but uh i think with it being an analog wheel people can see like with with an app people i think could still potentially go 
oh yeah, but did he rig the app to like do the numbers in that order? Right. Um, whereas with a with just a wheel, it's like even with the wheel, I still get people coming up to me asking me, "Oh, how did you get the wheel to land on those numbers in that order?" <laughs> Everyone's a cynic. Yeah, but like to make it analog rather than digital, uh, I think takes an additional step away from that. Uh, another thing that really heavily influenced me was um, Have you ever seen? I mean, you're from North America, so I'm sure. I'm sure you will have versus someone in Europe. Have you seen much of Andy Kaufman? Oh man, I love Andy Kaufman. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, he's he's brilliant and he's like a big inspiration to me. And one of the things that I that I like really was inspired by is he did a show where someone heckled him with like you're not funny or you need to tell us jokes. And he said, well, I've never like claimed to be a comedian and I don't tell jokes. And I, and I was like, oh, do you know what? That's really interesting. Like, once you like take that label off it, like the amount of kind of freedom that that gives you and it allows for you to kind of have much more of a, a dialogue with an audience. Whereas I feel like a comedian, once you put comedy on something, um, it's one it's kind of going, yeah, laugh at this. It's meant to be subversive. Whereas if you take that off it, you allow people to make up their own minds. That's really interesting. I think that that's, interesting. Yeah, I think that that's like a... Uh, I think you can go to much more interesting places, like on stage, um, in those moments. Yeah, it's funny because like, it, it, like, I feel like no one gets in comedy to follow rules and stuff, but then you find comedians who are like, even in this weird thing that we're doing they have to have some sort of regulations where it's like you can never wear shorts on stage that's like a golden rule and i'm like who gives a shit what anyone's wearing like we're telling dick jokes essentially like i don't i don't know why people need it to be in this tight little box necessarily i, I totally uh, agree with you uh, another big like influence for me was um so there's a there's a theater director called uh, peter brook who wrote a, a book called the empty space and uh, he um, writes about what's called deadly theatre. And what that is, is when you, basically, when you, like, follow those rules or rules get put in in, say, theatre, ballet, comedy, whatever format it is, once you start to adhere to those rules, you're ultimately um, less creative because you uh, have these restrictions that mean that you can't go certain places with it. And I think that that's something that, like, comedy's got, like, in droves. And it's, like, I think I stand out because I am, like, I've kind of thrown that rule book out of the, just into the bin. Uh, because I think um, I was personally at the time getting, like, too too bogged down with the rules. And I was just becoming like everyone else. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but, like, I... I noticed the moment that I threw it out that like it was like that spark was back there again. Yeah, because that's the thing. I th I think it's uh, people might try write it off, write off what you do, but the thing is, it's completely different. But it's also entertaining and funny. Like uh, my my girlfriend's pretty like done with stand up at this point, just having being dragged to so many of my shows and whatnot. But I remember when she saw you, we were both pretty like blown away. And also, I had no 
pretense. No one had told me what it is that you normally do. So just going in blind and seeing you bring out this wheel and everything was like really something. Well, the thing is as well, I I like decided to kind of, I mean, it slowly evolved, but I kind of decided to do that on a whim. So the people who'd seen me before and the people who'd seen me after, it was like, it was like almost as if like I was a brand new act again. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, we could probably go on forever, but I want to get into your uh, video game history. So I assume you, you've been playing games growing up, but uh, how old are you, first of all? Uh, I am 31 now. Uh, oh, 1990, just like me. Mm. Yeah, we're both too old to get on telly now. <laughs> yeah, but we probably have the same talking points or references for this, too. So uh, when did you start playing games? Uh, so my, my earliest um, memory of playing games was playing games on the PC at like my dad my dad's PC and my granddad's PC um and that was like real time strategy games and um uh stuff like Baldur's Gate civilization uh the 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 teddy bears picnic that kind of thing oh that's interesting i feel like most people don't start with those kinds of games you sort of end up there after a while well, I mean, we were really poor, so like I've, like I look back on it. My first games console that I had was like a Mega Drive, and I eventually did some kind of like research into it. And the Mega Drive that I had was like very much a, a like an on offer Mega Drive at the time. So it was like a cheap one that came with a multi cart game. And that was basically what I had to put up with, uh, like, I don't know, until I was about eight. My next one was was a, a PlayStation, like a PlayStation 1. But mm -hmm. I, again, like, at the time, I thought that the PlayStation 1 was, like, really new. But looking back on it, I probably got that, like, at least midway, if not near the end of its life. Yeah, I'd be the exact same scenario. I think I got it, like, 2000 or 2001 and was, like, blown away. You don't realize, like, Final Fantasy VII came out in, like, 96, I think. Weird. Yeah, well, I uh, I had um, Tekken, and I remember looking back on it, and again, I thought that it was, like, brand new, but it was, like, obviously... I think it was, like, one of the Platinum Hits ones, but at the time, I didn't know what that was, so at that time, it was, like, <laughs> a, a cut-price, really old game. Yeah, I never realized, like, when you see Game of the Year, that sort of means it's been out for a while. Like, if people have already rated it and re-released it. I mean, I'm really pleased about it, like, now. Um, like, now I've got the money to buy basically whatever game I wanted, but I'll only buy a game that's, like, £3 on eBay these days. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for that. I'll, I'll sort of buy shit on a whim just if it's on a good enough of a sale, you know? Yeah, and and I feel like even then you end up, you know, finding games that that you wouldn't necessarily um, like pick, you know, yourself, you know, once you put those parameters on. Um, like my new game that I'm going to be starting streaming soon is uh, called This Is the Police, where you are you're like micromanaging uh, a police station, 
and that's not the kind of game that I would probably go out and buy, but because it was like a pound, that's <laughs> that's like next on my schedule. Believe it or not, I actually got a run in of a This Is The Police 2 uh, a few months ago, because it was on sale on the Switch. Uh, is it good? Really interesting game. It's. It, I would say it has a lot of good aspects. You can get addicted to it. I, I don't know if I... It's weird, man. It's one of those like, is it a good game? Probably not. But can you have lots of fun playing it? Yeah you know well well i can very much say the same about like i say baldo's gate and uh, the teddy bear's picnic <laughs> uh, but yeah that's awesome so you're twitching twitch streaming games now, i like that idea of doing like games not everyone is doing it's not just you on playing fortnite or whatever oh yeah again well i mean i don't intentionally do it but i feel like Again, because I'm influenced by the people who I'm influenced by. If other people are doing something, I don't see the point in, in doing it. <laughs> I love the idea of Andy Kaufman as a Twitch streamer in, like, 2021. <laughs> um, well, we have gone on long enough here. I'm just going to get right to it. Uh, so let's talk some Fallout 3. Very excited. Tom Short, this is the game of your life. I don't want to set the world Fallout 3, a 2008 post-apocalyptic open-world action RPG. It was released in October 2008 and would later boast five additional DLC add-ons. The game received huge critical praise for its open-ended gameplay and flexible leveling system. There was also some controversy attached in Australia for the recreational drug use and in India for the depiction of the mutated cattle. Uh, right off the bat, are you surprised to hear about those controversies about this game? Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's like that bad, but you know, that was something I was gonna tell you as a story that I, when I was growing up, my parents were quite um, like reserved in terms of like video games, and I think that they kind of bought into the newspaper hype of if you ever played like Grand Theft Auto, uh, you might go out and you know stab someone. Mm -hmm. My parents are very similar in that regard. I was not allowed to play those games growing up. Yeah, and like I remember, I remember like several conversations with my parents where I was like trying to get them to like allow me to play it, and it was just always a hard no. Uh, so like Fallout Three comes out a very kind of it was just like one of the first kind of like eighteen adult games that I was like able to play because it came out. We were eighteen for it, conveniently enough. Yeah, so I was. You know, I was able, to, you know, they couldn't say anything at that point. Um, so in terms of like the controversy, um, I'm I'm a little bit surprised at it because I don't like I don't know how much it kind of builds into that kind of, you know, the kind of newspaper reports that had come in the years before that, um, you know, if you were to be doing morphine, because I think that's what it was that that the, the, the uh, drug Medex is morphine or stim packs of morphine in the like originally so they got changed but like once they've been changed i don't see why it's an issue at that point and it's all i have the same thing i would say to, about grand theft auto it's like it's not glorifying drug use it, it gives you a slight stat benefit but then you can also become addicted which gives you a slight stat decrease so it's like it's done very real to like what it would be like to do drugs. I don't understand why that's like an issue, especially in like you said, an eighteen A rated game meant for adults. Yeah, and but the thing is, you know, you don't know who is who is you know playing these games and how susceptible people are. So I do I do understand, 
But I think that, personally, I think that, like, Fallout definitely took enough of a kind of, like, additional step that I don't think it should have really been a a big controversy. Uh, I think it's also interesting that if you look... I feel like those kind of um, stories have gone away in more recent years as games have become more hyper-realistic. So I think it's more a, a product of the time that that there was that controversy, perhaps. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, well, I like to break these games down sort of in sections, and the first one I always start with is the story and the characters. Um, so setting the scene, the year is 2277 in, like, uh, Fallout-torn Washington, D.C., and uh, it's pretty cool. I love that these games are built in, like, realistic, like, places that exist, you know? And uh, the two major factions in this world are the Enclave and the Brotherhood of Steel, uh, there's also the outcasts, which are people who quit the Brotherhood of Steel. And then there's a bunch of other smaller factions, like you have super mutants and ghouls and raiders and slavers. So it's a pretty, like, full world. Yeah, well, that's something I was thinking when I was playing it um, recently, that it is, it is like, really kind of jam-packed. And I think the fact that it's also meant to be this nuclear wasteland that's a bit empty, also, like, the setting allows for it to be a bit empty at times uh you know and it doesn't take you out of the immersion um mm-hmm. i mean we, it almost should be i mean it would be empty in places realistically i mean we were chatting um before this about how i do think that fallout new vegas did like the factions and the world a little bit better but with that said fallout 3 was like the first one under bethesda and it was kind of in my opinion, it's kind of the first one that's made for more of a mass audience. So I think that they intentionally kind of dumbed down a lot of the factions. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll not to get too meta about it, but it sort of goes to what we were saying about the comedy earlier, where it's like, I, I find with the restrictions that New Vegas puts on it, it might make it a, feel like a more fleshed out game, but it does take away from, I think, the creativity and like almost like the role playing aspect. Like, to me, you're not like even a you're like a completely blank slate in Fallout Three, whereas the Courier in New Vegas sort of does feel more restricted, even if it's just slightly. Mm. And I mean, the one thing that I, uh, I mean, Fallout Three was my first entry into the series, uh, and something that I discovered later that I think that Fallout Three probably did worse was that so in the original games, the Brotherhood of Steel are like a much more kind of grey faction in terms of their morals and I think that it's a shame that it lost that in Fallout 3 Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say none of the uh, I would say most of the factions in this are pretty black and white, but we'll start at the beginning, so you basically see yourself being born here, Uh, I don't know if it's inside Vault 101 but uh, (laughs) you you get delivered into the world, so I like that Um, and then you fast forward and it's your first birthday and most of this is just shit you have to do. It's sort of linear story, world building. But right away you meet Butch, who's just a total piece of shit uh, bully that lives in the vault. And also Anata, who is like your best friend. And I like how they, they do this little birthday scene. Yeah, well, the I think that that's one of the things that like sold Fallout for me, is that the whole opening sequence in the vault is, like I think, so well done. That, like you're kind of brought into the world and you're kind of taught things a little bit and um i think that everything's like building up and like i like the fact that the game kind of lies to you a little bit in that like um 
it says that oh people are born in the vault and they die in the vault and no one ever leaves the vault but then you then discover that that's not true and that's kind of there to mislead you about that you're going to go into like the wider world mm-hmm. yeah so the narrative of the game is that a company actually vault tech has made these while the when the impending war was about to happen and literally the vault you're born in is meant to be a social experiment where no one ever leaves that's another aspect of it that i really like the like the kind of um like the b sci-fi horror kind of aspect of it and um you can see uh you can see like influences from um um doctor is it dr strangelove not dr strangelove oh what's it called now the how i learned to love how i learned to love the bomb by um stanley kubrick and like that's got a whole bit at the end about how we should send everyone down to the vault and have like sex with scientists and stuff like that and i really love those kind of like little strands that they've taken from all these different sci-fi elements in order to build this this like this like world that you can then explore yeah and i also love fallout never fails to take a shot at sort of like corporatization and like of course this this vault would really just be the result of some evil corporation doing some fucked up thing you know uh so yeah moving ahead uh basically you flash forward you uh, when you get the birthday party you also get your first gun it gives you a tutorial all that uh, and then you flash forward to when you're an adult. And it's funny because, like, Butch is just still a dick. Like, imagine living with your bully in a vault. It's sort of, like, a funny thing to think about. He's even got, like, his own biker gang, the Tunnel Snakes or whatever. And, uh, but basically shit hits the fan when a Nato wakes you up and says that your dad has escaped the vault. Um, Jonas, who's the guy who taught you how to shoot and gave you your gun, is dead. And the overseer is looking for you to kill you. And it's like shit gets really serious really quick here. Yeah, well, again, it's it's like this this kind of build up for the misdirection because it's like no one leaves the vault, no one enters the vault. So, you know, you could, you know, you could mentally make the leap that you're gonna then start maybe running the vault, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But then it takes you down this route of that you've got to exit the vault which is something that's not been brought up to you for like the last hour and a half as even a possibility. Yeah, and it's like if you don't exit, you'll die. Uh, basic, Basically, the game also presents its first crossroads here uh, where Butch's mom is trapped in a room with a rad roach and rad roaches are just like uh, radiation-infused cockroaches that are like the size of a football now. And you can basically choose, since Butch has been a dick to you this entire time, to just let his mom die from rad roaches or go in and save her. This time around, I was doing a really morally good character in this run, so I saved her. Um, I've, I mean, I've, I've played it through a number of times, and, you know, in some of them she ends up dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, because if you do save her, though, Butch is, like, so grateful he changes his tune completely and gives you his tunnel snake jacket, which you can wear, <laughs> wear for the first bit. Um, but... Yeah, at once you get out of the vault, and what a glorious moment in video gaming that is, when the light hits your eyes and you see the open wasteland. It's done so perfectly. Mm. I'd say the first five hours of Fallout 3 are, like, perfectly done. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it's nice because they plant Vault 101 right in the middle of this open world map. Um, I would say this game feels way more open than New Vegas in the sense that New Vegas will take you on a pretty predetermined path. Whereas this is literally like you walk in any direction. Go ahead. Well, I remember, um, like, again, one of the things that, like, really made me fall in love with it was... So when I was 18, I I had a, a job. And 
what me and one of my colleagues we were chatting about fallout 3 and we both had it and the thing that really blew my mind was that like basically we both come out of vault 101 and we spoke about like everything leading up to this point and then you're supposed to go right but i think for my first playthrough i'd gone left so we had like an immediately completely different experience of the exact same game and i'd never had that before mm-hmm. where it's not even like yeah you could play this game five different times and have five different like first few hours <laughs> it's like you're saying uh i i love it for that but most people do end up at the town of megaton right away and this is like a brilliant part of the game where it's like a town built around a diffused atomic bomb uh and just the way the city's designed it looks great it's like full of characters you can get a companion here there's quest givers and it's sort of the first step of finding where your dad went yeah one of the big i'd say one of the one of the first but probably one of the most well-known and biggest uh, moral uh, choices is in Megaton, where you're given the option to blow up the whole town. <laughs> yeah, you can rig the atomic bomb. They all sort of have congregated around to bl- explode. Yeah, and uh, and you can do it like whilst watching from a balcony with other rich people as they you know comment on all these poor people who are dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it's it's also not an action that is without consequence because, like I said earlier, like. You have a companion in this city, you have quest givers, there's even a bobblehead you can get in Megaton. And all of that shit is completely wiped off the map if you do it. Not only that, if you haven't advanced the story, the quest line with your dad, it takes away that quest marker and just leaves it open-ended. So you basically just have to stumble upon where you're supposed to go at that point. Mm. Uh, Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've I've personally never blown up Megaton. Really? No, I never have. Uh, because I, I, one of kind of fell in love with the town and the characters, and for some reason I feel a little bit bad about blowing them up. Um, <laughs> but also, um, I don't know. I just kind of view the town as, like you said, like too important for me to be able to blow up. Yeah, it it's really like not something I did in the first run for sure. Um, because I always, whenever I play a game like this, I sort of role play as like doing what I would do in this situation if it were real and I'm not a psychopath so I wouldn't blow up the town <laughs> but I I definitely do an evil run afterwards with games like this and I, I definitely did blow it up and it, it is like a, a pretty uh, heavy moment it's pretty fucked up yeah I think as well one of the other reasons why is because one of my favorite characters like gets turned into a ghoul which if you've not played it the ghouls are like these humans that have been affected by radiation and they end up looking like like zombies and um, the Moira Brown character is, like, one of my favourites, and she's, like, dead lovely, and I always feel dead bad about making that happen to her. I, I think she lives, though. Yeah, she ends up living, but, you know... Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't have known that at the time. Oh, on that note as well, uh, she's got uh, one of my favourite missions. Oh, cool. What, what? Which one is it? So what happens is um, you kind of... You'll stumble across it, when you go into Megaton and start exploring the city, you'll eventually need to get supplies. And she runs the supply shop and says, oh, I'm, I'm writing a book about how to survive in the wasteland. Uh, can you go out and do these various missions so I can write about them in my book? And I think it's like such a good like opening 
in the same way that Vault 101 was a great kind of introduction, that's like a great introduction to the wastes and learning about some of the some of the monsters that you got to take on and some of the places that you might need to be like scavenging materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I I sort of hate uh, your traditional tutorial where it tells you that it's a tutorial. I much prefer quests like that where it's like this is just going to, by doing it, you're going to be introduced to how the game works. And it's like a way more interesting way to do it. Yeah. And it's like completely like optional. Uh, you know, like you can just tell her, oh no, fuck off. I'm not, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. I'm not your errand boy. But yeah, moving ahead with the story. Um, basically at this point, you can almost go right to the end if you want. Like uh, they're, they'll, they'll make different quest markers and places you have to go. But the story itself is basically fleshed out when you go to Rivet City and find someone that your dad used to work with. And she explains what Project Purity was, which apparently in before you were born, your dad was in the outside world trying to find a way to purify all the water in Washington because basically everything's radiated. Uh, and then with all the different factions warring and uh, all the shit fell apart and he decides to take to the vault underneath. So basically it's up to you to retake project purity and it'll bring you to the end point where that's that's the decision you have to make basically yeah well on the way to rivet city there is a there is another thing that i really love that um that i think really helps to flesh out the world which is when you come across galaxy news radio Mm-hmm. and uh you meet uh the dj free dog and you like fix his satellite dish and then you're able to like listen to all these like cool 1950s songs um, whilst you go across the wasteland, which I think just adds like that another layer to to it all. That you know you're looking at all this destruction with all these kind of high, you know, high tempo, quite kind of wishy washy songs. And um, I just think that 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 contrast is like like a really cool aspect to the game. Yeah, I totally agree. It's definitely just world building. The radio in general is just a great like addition to this game. And it works on your Pip-Boy, which we should explain. You get your Pip-Boy at your birthday, I forgot to bring up earlier. And it's literally just like a vault tech thing that, um, for the purpose of gameplay, it's where you see your limbs, your stats, your items, and your quest markers, everything like that. But I like that it's actually written into the story, too. Yeah, it's um, that's kind of like a... a a running constant across all the games that that you get given a pit by it'd be interesting to see if there is a um like if they ever did one where you don't have your pit by for a lot in fact there is a again this is another mission that i really like called uh tranquility lane which is on the way to finding your dad oh right what, what happens there so tranquility lane is you end up going to another vault which is a um which is like a they're all scientific experiments uh every vault you come across you get to the point where you're like oh god what are, what horrors am i gonna see in this one <laughs> yeah and um so this one is everyone's in like like a vr simulation like like the matrix and uh the overseer is just basically torturing the 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 members of the vault by like killing them off in various ways and then they'll reset the simulation then they can't remember and it's all in black and white and it's like on this uh road if you remember it yeah i totally remember this now that you're jogging my memory yeah and uh the vault uh the overseer is like a little girl in the simulation and it's like right so you need to like do all these like like you've got to like uh break up someone's parents you've got to 
you know, kill someone in a variety of ways. Um, or you can pick up the clues and then uh, basically get the overseer killed by sending a load of army people into the simulation and they'll and they'll kill off everyone. Right. Yeah, that's so it's awesome. The the amount of side quests you can do that don't feel like the rest of the game. They they do such a good job of taking you out of it like that. Mm. Well, like I um I was doing one again in preparation for this where I was I was just walking around and I ended up going into this kind of underground bit and then this guy just comes up to me and is like, "Oh, can you help get me cherry bombs?" And and it just made me go, "God, this game is like so like heavily packed." in the you know in the various areas that it is heavily packed like i don't know how they managed to fit so much into a game from like what 13 years ago now yeah 2008 yeah it is crazy um by the end there i mentioned the group the enclave before and they're basically like human purists i guess you could call them so their whole plot is they want to take project purity and add this poison to it that kills any sort of mutated being so it would kill like 98% of the wasteland and leave them just behind. And you can do that uh, or you can purify the water yourself. Uh, the, the problem is you have a code that uh, allows it to purify and whoever goes in the machine to, to enter the code is basically dead. So in the, in the original game that can be you or that can be an your dad's assistant. Uh, but then in the Broken Steel ending, which is the DLC ending they've added to the game... You can put in any of your companions also. And all in the original game, the ending is always considered pretty lackluster because no matter what you do, the game just sort of ends. Whereas in the Broken Steel DLC, you can your character goes, I think you're passed out in a coma for like two weeks, and then you wake up and the game continues. And you can actually see what's happened to the wasteland depending on your decision. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. I would always recommend someone, if you are going to play Fallout 3, to uh, get some of the DLC um, in order to get that better ending. But also, there is like like really cool like additional like guns and armor and all that sort of stuff that you can pick up. Like all my all my favorite stuff is like from the DLCs. Yeah, it's so irritating that the PS Now doesn't have the updated version, and there's not even a way that you can buy it. So there's it's just like incomplete it's definitely my biggest frustration of ps now um so yeah that's basically it for the story and the character i i will say about this game there's it's more about the factions like there's no strong individual characters really in this game no there's like there's like the odd one like i say like like moira brown but but like your character is very much like a, a blank slate really yeah completely and yeah like you said there is the odd one but there's no one I, I can't say there's any, like, truly memorable characters. Did you stumble across the uh, the super mutant who's, like, self-aware and just wanting to bring peace between the humans and the super mutants? Uh, yes. Uh, I want to say his name's, like, Bruce or something. I thought it was, like, Mo, but I could be totally wrong. Uh, well, I'm sure I'm 100% wrong, so you're, you're likely more <laughs> right than I am. But, yeah, like, that's another thing, that there's, like, random events that might turn up in your game or might you might never see it at all. And I think that's like a really cool way of, of um, you know, like, you know, when you replay, you'd be like, oh, what am I going to see this time? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't played this game for years, but I, I went to the Oasis for the first time in this last run through. Had you done that quest? quest? Yes, we've, uh, we've Harold the, the living tree. like. <laughs> yeah, so this is like, this 
quest to me like most encompasses uh, what Fallout's all about because it's like dark humor, but it's also like a moral quandary that you enter and just like it's so world building. But basically, this guy Harold got hit with like something nuclear and morphed with this tree he was like sitting under. So he looks like this disgusting, like fig- disfigured, like tree man. And he's just rooted in place. And this cult sort of like formed around him, thinking he's a tree god. Uh, I forget what they call themselves. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really cool. And then Harold basically says, like, I I like hate my existence. <laughs> can you can you uh, like kill me? And but like all of his followers are like, oh, definitely don't kill him. Like we've got this thing that will like make him grow indefinitely. And then we'll be able to have trees again. So, like, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, it's completely... You have... I, th- I believe it's three options. You can basically just do nothing and just let him live how he is, like one cult follower wants. Or you can apply that weird, like, lotion stuff that'll make him grow. Or do what he wants and kill him. Uh, since this was the first time I'd ever done this quest, I actually put the growing stuff on him. And I was really happy because you get like a really awesome reward for it. Well, that's another thing as well. Like I feel like like a lot of the side quests, you end up with like loads of you know, like, like your character often gets what's called perks, where for finishing a, a quest, you'll get say a gun or a new piece of armor, or you might get like a a permanent um, increase to like one of your stats. So like the Moira Brown one. She asks you to, in one of them, she's like, right, so I need to look at uh, radiation in the wasteland. And so you'll go off and get irradiated. And then when you come back, she's like, right, I've, uh, I've studied everything. And um, this weird things happen where, where your limbs grow back if you're irradiated. Mm-hmm. I, like I say, I think that there is almost more of an incentive to do everything around the main quest than the actual main quest yeah completely and it's so cool that it does that because yeah you'll get a perk and it's like oh your character is actually developing and growing based on what you're doing it it adds validity to all the quests and makes it seem important what you're doing Mm. i just think there's so much imagination that's that's in the game you know like there's i'd say for any one place you come across there's at least there's at least one like quest you know usually more than one like maybe three four five and i think there must be like 70 plus locations so for there to be that many missions outside of just the main quests is like amazing really for sure Uh, what i love too is you can just be wandering around and you might like clear a building out of raiders or whatever and then like days down the road or whatever you'll get to some you'll get to some town and some guy will be like hey we got these pesky raiders in that building down the street or whatever and you can just be like, oh, already dealt with it. And just a quest you didn't even know you had will complete and give you, like, a bunch of experience. Uh, I love when shit like that happens. Yeah, it's and, like, the way that they've, one, programmed it, but also scripted it, that there's all these, like, dialogue options. And, you know, anyone that you click on, there's, you know, other than yourself, you know, there's, like, fully voiced, you know, like, interactions for, like, how big the script must have been it must have been thousands and thousands of pages mm-hmm. like there's so much work and you i feel like you can kind of tell that it must have been a bit of a labor of love for the first one at the very least 
Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I'm going to move right on to the gameplay then. I feel like we covered the story and characters. And so the first thing you pick is your special stats. And I like that it's called special because it's your strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. And like most games, you just pick your opening stats, basically. But it's always a fun sort of decision. Well, when I when I did the... Um, when I did the... Like the preparation for this, I um, I played as like a, a girl who I put like all my um, all my points into like charisma and intelligence because like again what I was saying about like scripting, if you've got like a high charisma or a high intelligence character, there's like there's like more dialogue options that might open up for you, and I think mm-hmm. that again that's like a really interesting way that depending on how you build your character will change how people interact like if you have like a really low intelligence character that might limit the amount of options that you've got and again i just think that that's like so so intricate and so amazing that they did that yeah there's one quest called those where the there's this mad scientist who's basically created fire ants Mm. except like giant fire ants that have like torn apart a city and if you have really high intelligence, you can literally, like, convince him in a scientific way that what he's doing is stupid. Whereas it's not even an option if you've got too low intelligence. And and again, what I was saying about, like, like B-movies and sci-fi, I don't know if you know, but, like, those is based off of a, off of a sci-fi film from the 50s called Them, which is um, about giant ants, like, taking over, I, I want to say Las Vegas, but, like... That's awesome. But, like, the amount of like research and things that went into this game like other than new vegas like i'm not surprised that people are a bit disappointed with like fallout 4 and fallout 76 because i don't feel like they've probably had as much love and as insight and as much like going on underneath the surface yeah i completely agree there um so yeah the level ups always feel super important when you level up in this game you get a set you get a set amount of skill points to put in a variety of stats and the stats can be like light guns, heavy guns, melee to, if you want to pick what weapons you're going to use most or it could be your science perk which will let you hack computers or your lock picking will let you open doors and you really like this is where your character building comes into play the most as you're sort of designing what you're going to be able to do in the game. Um in this game when you're doing combat, you you got a the VATS system. I feel I, a lot of people. I feel like there's a lot of criticism about the vats or how it makes a game too easy or whatever. But I always thought it looked really cool. I love when the game knows you're gonna kill someone. It'll do like a different camera angle and show like sometimes when the camera follows the bullet. I think it looks really cool. Yeah, and if you like the vat system, there's something called called something like bloody terror or something like that, where um, like when the when it knows that you're going to kill them it like goes particularly like violent and they like explode <laughs> and it like that's kind of like a hard like a callback to the original fallout games and i think that that's probably the most kind of like turn-based rpg element to it and i think that's probably why some people like don't like it because it's it is almost like a bit of like a it doesn't quite sit in the rest of the world that they've like built but that wouldn't be there without the original Fallout games. Yeah, that's totally true. And uh, you so you get a variety of weapons through the game, but you can do VATs with any of them. So if you're unarmed or whatever, it's still VATs. 
and you use your AP points to do multiple hits. I like that all the weapons are pretty, like, durable, but they also break. They have a different level of, like, uh, durability and can break, but they're also repairable. You can also make new weapons, although I don't know about you, I never found myself actually making weapons in this game. Uh, well, I've I've made some of the... I think some of the made weapons are some of the best weapons you can get. Um, like, in this one that I've been playing in the preparation for this and will be playing after this as well, I think there's two like really good weapons that you can have. One is the uh, Deathclaw Gauntlet, which is uh, like a Deathclaw's hand, which is... Uh, the Deathclaws are like the biggest, like hardest like monsters in the game. Oh, they're so scary. Whenever you see one and you're not expecting to, it's like, fuck. Mm, yeah, and it's like, it's not until you get like a little bit further into the game, like towards the end, that you feel at all prepared to take one of them on. Yeah, it's like uh, the final boss is always walking around and you can just run into him accidentally. I, I think one of the first times I ever came across one, I was only like level five and, and it just battered me. Yeah, it's like a one hit kill. Yeah, well... Uh, once you start being able to like craft items, you can uh, you can take its hand and it and it turns into like like a like a glove with like spikes on it and stuff. Uh, and the other one That's is awesome. um, oh, what's it called now? It's like a it's like a machete that's on fire. Oh, the shish kebab or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the shish kebab. Um, and that's um, that's one of the other like items like if you're doing a i feel like some people would probably go for a playthrough where they're not trying to use too many guns because you know ammo is like expensive and you know somewhat hard to find unless you've done the right build so if you're doing just melee items like the shish kebab and the uh and the death club of gauntlet i think are like like probably key items but the actual guns that you make i don't think are anywhere near as good as those two yeah i find i have the most fun with this game's combat when i just go full melee and like pump that stat through the roof uh, the guns are fine but i've just never i i don't find the shooting that smooth in the game and when you're not aiming in vets i find it really tough to hit the target relative to other shooting games uh, this game does a decent job of having a morality system, too. You definitely feel like you can be a good or bad person, and most of the choices have, like, a degree of gray to them. Uh, other than, like, you could, like, enslave children in this game if you want. There's obviously, like, really evil things and really good things you can do, but uh, I, I like I like how they do it in this game. Yeah. It's also uh, interesting when you find one where it's, like, there's not really a, a clear answer for whether or not it is you know, good or bad what you're doing. So have you played The Pit? Uh, no, I don't think so. So The Pit is uh, is a DLC. And what that is, is uh, it's Pittsburgh that they've basically turned into like a massive slave colony. Oh no. And uh, slaves are getting sick. And um, the guy who like runs the slave colony is um, has got a baby. And it turns out that the baby is like, un, um, is... Uh, like unaffected by the illness so you're given the option of whether or not to like kidnap this baby <laughs> in order to like uh help with the research for the cure of the um of the slaves uh but he's like yeah but if we like let it grow up we've got more time and the and the scientists are like we don't have the time to like people are going to die so like it's really like those particular ones are like oh shit what do i do and like that happens again like what you said near the end with um with the uh water 
treatment facility and you meet uh you meet the the supposed president that you've been listening to on the radio for like a lot of the game who turns out that he's a computer and waiting to basically like if you kill off all the mutants they'll then be able to like set set up civilization the way that it was yeah yeah it's super interesting um and then the only other thing i have here for gameplay is the the radiation uh situation i i sort of like that I mean, radiation is just a part of everyone's life in a post-apocalyptic world. And the more radiated you get, the more stat debuffs you'll get, basically. Like, it affects your health and your strength and everything. I assume just, like, radiation sickness would in real life. Yeah, and you can use that, um, and you can, you know, use that to your advantage sometimes. Like, there's certain guns, like the Fat Man and the Ray Gun, which are, like, particularly um, effective against, like, humans... But if you were to use it against, like, the ghouls, the irradiated people, it actually, like, heals them. So there is, there's, like, that additional element to it. Yeah, that's brilliant when games do shit like that. Uh, but I like, too, that, like, all the food gives you radiation because the food's all radiated and stuff like that. And in this game, same with when you get your limbs crippled, you can either heal it with an item. For radiation, it's rad away. If you're crippled, it's a stim pack. Or you can find a doctor in one of the towns and they'll charge you a, a fee to just completely heal you or completely take away your radiation. Oh, and you can also get, uh, you can also get, like what you referenced before, you can also get addicted to, like, medics and stim, or not stim packs, but you can get addicted to various things and then that, like, affects how you, how your, like, character acts when it's, like, suffering from withdrawal symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember once I got so pissed because I couldn't do. Uh, I couldn't hack a computer that was like very hard and I wasn't didn't understand why and it's because your stim like the addiction I had just lowered all of my stats by like two or three so I just wasn't a hundred anymore and it's just like fuck I gotta go get my addiction cured before I can even do this yeah or you can you know you can use those drugs again and it like it brings you back like slightly better you know like and it's like a short-term fix but then makes your addiction worse it's oh it's so good Right, yeah. And that is, I will say, it's a sort of unrealistic part where the doctor could just say, hey, let me cure that addiction for you. And then just, it's gone. It's be nice if it worked that way in real life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the trade-off is that we don't live in a nuclear apocalypse, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I'll take being it harder to kick addiction. So I think that's most, unless you had anything left for gameplay, I think we covered most of how that works. I guess the cat, I'll, I'll discuss money too. Uh, cat. I love caps because money is just bottle caps. That's like, I I love. Even though it's been hundreds of years, they haven't come up with a better way to create monetary value or anything. But like, I could totally see that becoming a thing that, you know, is it feels like no real different from like a pound coin. Yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, let's go past the gameplay into the graphics and the sound, uh, which is an important component of any game. Uh, I think the graphics are in that beautiful, like, mid-2000s period where you're never going to mistake them for, like, real life, like they're starting to do with graphics today, but they also don't look like total shit, and I think they hold up pretty well for a game that's been 13 years old now. Yeah, I think it also helps that it's, like, so stylized. Like, at the time, I remember, like, most of the games being, like, like brown, like, brown and grey, but, like, this has, like, a reason for that. In you know the the setting, and I think that that like really helps the you know the the immersion and the the ability to like 
you know buy into the world that you're that you're looking at even though like you say it's not quite it doesn't look realistic at all but i think that in the long run that's probably going to help games from that era like i feel like if you look at games from like the late 80s um you know 16-bit games like they've not aged like particularly at all but then like the playstation 1 playstation 2 have like aged quite a lot but i feel like the xbox 360 kind of era that's going to be almost like a style now it's true and what you said is right about this game says look the aesthetic is one of the strongest parts of this whole game and just seeing the wasteland when it's sprawled out in front of you like it really does feel like you can go wherever you want it's really incredible for the first time you're playing it it's sort of, I don't know about you, but the first time I played this game, I almost couldn't get my head around it. Like, I didn't I didn't understand the concept of just not having my hand held throughout a game. So I almost didn't like it at first until I sort of got hip to it and realized what I was meant to do. Well, that's that's the thing. I think, uh, I think some people, like, again, you know, you'll have been 18 yourself. And, you know, we've already said that you had like a bit of a, you know, sheltered upbringing so those more kind of complex games like this is probably on the scale of slightly more complex and i think if you've not built up to that it 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 does have the the ability to kind of um alienate some people and like i remember when i very very first played it um i went to um so you come out of the vault you go down the road and there's a school and like you'd think, oh, that it's just school, but it's like it's it's well hard. You're not meant to go in there that early, and it doesn't give you any indication that that should be the case. And that that like definitely coloured my view of it for like the first you know week or two of me playing it. And thanks to like me being so into like sci-fi and the aesthetic like bringing me in, that I was able to kind of force my way through it. I could see a lot of people if you weren't as into that like just putting it down and going oh do you know what i played it and it worked for me yeah totally um I, and i think stuff like that does just add to a true open world like uh, and i also just love when games will introduce an area that like you said is too hard for the moment you're in because you know you're gonna have the satisfaction of being strong enough to come back and clear out that school and it'll be like a sign of your progress yeah it's like like i mean when i again when i was playing it for the research for this um, I saw the school, immediately remembered it, and I was like, I was like, nope, not going that way, and then immediately <laughs> avoided it. But like, I could have easily gone into there at like level two, and just been completely obliterated with without knowing. Yeah, if you knew nothing about this game and you thought, okay, I found a school, my job must be to clear this out, you would it would ruin the game for you if you didn't realize like you're not meant to be there. Yeah, but again, they've like, I feel like they've kind of gone. Like they've like hunkered down. They've gone. We've got all these things that that um, like not everyone's into sci-fi. Not everyone's into you know the idea of the world ending. Not everyone's into you know <laughs> zombies living in in like subway systems. Like like they've got these things that it's like this game will not be for some people. It will just completely cross a load of boxes off for, for some people and like they're all right with that and you can tell that that's like a like a, a conscious decision because like it was from bethesda and they bought the rights to fallout probably knowing full well what it was and full well what they were putting out um and one other thing i had under the graphics here is i love the attention to detail like 
because uh, I guess, oh, one thing I missed in the gameplay aspect was that scavenging is like a huge part of this game. Uh, you're basically constantly looking for food and bullets and like getting through dun. This makes getting through dungeons so fun because it feels like you're you're almost like living paycheck to paycheck, if you will. Like I'm trying to think of a way to describe it, but like you just to get to one part of the level, it's because you use the bullets you just found in the last part. And now you got to find more bullets to get through this next part. And it feels very like in the moment because of it. Yeah, like there's like a there is like a sense of of like dread. You know, especially early on when you don't have very much in terms of like weapons and items and and I, I mean like towards the end, you know, like you could just you could just walk in somewhere and just start stepping on people. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but like you only get that because you know you've you've gone through like the hard bit at the beginning, and that's another thing as well. Like I can't think of another game that I like this much that I think has had in some ways quite a difficult like first. 10 levels yeah completely but it's like you said you get rewarded for it afterwards like being able to come back and stomp guys is it makes it all feel worth it uh but what i meant the point i went to bring up was that the attention to detail when you're scavenging is so well done because it, it doesn't there's no indicators when there's items on screen there's no like glow around it or anything it's just like a stim pack on a desk can be really hard to miss, especially because everything's almost the same color and sort of dirty. And I like the fact that when you are doing the scavenging, there is like a there's like a, a logic behind behind like so say for example if you go into uh, like a robot factory, you could go in there, clear it out, and then there'd be like loads of like gears and springs and like that kind of thing that you might need for like building a weapon or or repairing things. Like, so there's almost like a, a certain amount of, okay, so if I need this and I can see this marker on the map, there's a good chance I might be able to find what I need in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, as we near the end of this thing, I wanted to try a new segment on this show, and I've not done this before. Uh, but basically, I, I, I worry about being one of those podcasts that just gushes and gushes about a thing we like without being critical. Although I do think we have been a bit critical of this. But I want to talk about what sucks about this game. If you had to, if they had to force it out of you, what don't you like about Fallout 3? What could be better? There we go. When, um, so I noticed this when I was playing my, um, my playthrough in the preparation for this. I picked a girl character. And there's sometimes still times when they'll like call me like son or like hey guy, and you know for a fact that that like they don't intend for you to probably play as a girl character, which is probably like a little bit sexist. Yeah, and then also then why give me the option if it's meant to if it's written clearly as one? Why even give the player the option to choose? And on that note, the the like player like the player making aspect of it i feel never really comes into it like you could spend like an hour making your character look like how you look and then you're first person for like the rest of it and you that's a really good point i never thought of that but yeah it's like none of the choices you make like i don't think your race ever comes up it's not like if you have a beard anyone will ever make a comment on it it's like purely just for you at the beginning of the game and then you don't even get to see the person because usually you're wearing armor or like a helmet or something um Another thing as well, I'd like for there to be um, like something that I think I enjoyed the most about Fallout 4 was at the beginning, there's like a segment where you play uh, like before the war. So I'd like to have like a little bit more about um, uh, like pre-war and they do a little bit with the broken, I think it's the broken steel DLC 
where you like play in a simulation from before the war. And I feel like they could do more of that. I, I, I both agree and disagree because part of what I love about it is that the story isn't about how you got there. It's just this is the existence now and this is what it is. So you're sort of, you're never getting caught up in like the, well, what could we have done to fix or whatever? It's just, this is it. <laughs> like you're in the wasteland. Uh, but I do know what you mean too, because it does feel like there's a really rich story that could be told there. Um, so yeah, that covers what sucks. Oh, I have thought of one other negative, uh, which is, um, I think that they should have made a sixth DLC. And the reason why is because I think that Mothership Zeta is a disappointing final DLC. Like when I've, play game of the year edition mothership zeta is not the the one that i end on uh explain what mothership zeta is for the for the people that's a really interesting one so um so fallout uh released five dlcs uh one of them was um the brotherhood of steel which i extended it on another one was called point lookout so they came out uh one of them was called operation anchorage which is where you go back to the like in a simulation of the war and you uh, you get like a load of like cool pre pre war um, like gear, which I I think is like some of the best stuff in the game. And then the next one's the pit, which I've already mentioned about um, like that that uh, issue with the slaves getting ill, and you've got to like decide what to do with this baby. Uh, you got broken steel, uh, which I think is where you uh, storm the Brotherhood's um, base. Uh, Point Lookout, which is like almost like a hillbilly kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You're going through the swamps and like people coming after you with like shotguns and stuff. And then the last one with Mothership Zeta, where you get transported up to um, an alien mothership and they're like experimenting on you. And you uh, basically, it's basically like a big dungeon, big cave where you like clear out the mothership. And I can see why they ended it on that one because that feels like the most epic. You're going up to space and you end up having like a fight with another with another like mothership where you like destroy it over the earth and stuff like that. But ultimately, it was not as good like story wise as the other ones. And I think it meant for me that Fallout Three kind of ends on a on a kind of on a downward trajectory rather than an upwards one. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's funny because I think maybe what happens is like you have the idea of the spaceship and that sort of becomes the focus. But then, so what? what's going to happen inside the spaceship or how are we going to make this as interesting as the rest of it might have fallen off of the focus board, you know? Before we get out of here, I did ask you to do the three top threes of this game. And uh, so really quick, uh, what were your top three side quests in this game? Because I think this game's strongest point is the side quests and how deep they go. So just want to get your top three. Okay, top three side quests. So the uh, Wasteland Survival Guide, number one. Nice. With, uh, what's her name, Moira? Yeah, with Moira Brown in um, in Megaton. Uh, I'd say the next one is at um, Tenpenny Towers where you've got to decide whether or not to let the ghouls live with like the rich people. I love that one. You can just let the ghouls clear them out if you want to. Yeah. Um, and I'd say the uh, the next one that jumps out at me is again probably the, the Harold one that you mentioned. Yeah, I personally have that one number one uh, just because it's, it's, like I said, it perfectly encapsulates what makes Fallout Fallout. Like it's so bizarre um and as as weird as it is it's not like 
Like, it, it isn't a tree god. It's not supernatural. There is, like, a logical-based explanation for it. And But in the meantime, this cult forming around it is just so hilarious. So I just think it's great. And and there is, like, there's that human element to the story as well of, like, do you let this person kind of carry on, like, existing in pain, but his existence could potentially help the greater good? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so my quest, that was number one. Number two was Rescue from Paradise, because uh, you find Paradise Falls at one point on this map, and it's literally like a slaver's encampment. It's, it's as grim as this game gets, probably. And, yeah, you realize slavers are like an actual big faction in this game. And I, I, I like it because you got to just, even to get into Paradise Falls, like if your karma's too good, they just won't let you in. Um, but on the flip side, if you you have the option of enslaving people earlier in a different side quest. And if you do that, they they just let you in without even a speech check or anything. It's just so the how the reputation comes into that is really important. And again you can continue to like enslave people over the over the course of the game and you know, basically make the the wider world much worse. Mm-hmm. So it's great for that. And then when you actually get inside and just see I think all the characters are really well done in this. Like they're all just pieces of shit. But, like, of course they would be, and sort of seeing how they operate in their wasteland, as well as finding the slaves in cages and, like, eventually breaking them out. And when you do, you you help these three children escape, and then they eventually lead you to the lamplighter, which is, like, child-run sort of hideout in the wasteland, and I think that's a great part of the game, too. So there's just a lot of good stuff to do with this area. And then my third favorite was those. I'd actually not completed this quest weirdly. I don't know how I went over it because it's so close to the Megaton and Vault 101. But I just like how long it is, how extensive it is. And then at the end, it really leaves you with another moral quandary of what to do with the... Because you basically, there was one guy who died in the town and his son is left behind. And once you save him, you can either reconnect him with his family in Rivet City, which will get you good karma... Uh, or you can just let him continue living in this shelled-out ant city, and we're for no karma. <laughs> or you can enslave him, like we just talked about earlier, for, like, heavy negative karma. But basically, just, like, that choice attached to it is great, and the whole quest is really rewarding. Yeah, um, I think that that is... Uh... All of the ones you mentioned would probably end up in my top 10 somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go real quick to the stats. What are your three... If you're making a level or making a character, what are your three favorite things to pump stat points into? Uh, are we talking special of the one where it's like 16 and it's like bartering? Yeah, that one. Sorry, not special. The level up one. Yeah, so I um, I normally put a lot into lock picking, uh, speech, and um, depending on what run I'm doing, it would be either like... Uh, weapons or melee weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said earlier I love a good melee run. It's just fun when you can, like, punch someone's head off and stuff like that. It's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> I, I pick Speech 2 as number one. It's almost like an essential part of this game. I think it's what the Fallout games are most known for is the speech checks. Um, but I also, I'd put Medicine in here because I think it's really interesting that there's a number of occasions in this game where your medical uh, knowledge will come into effect. And you can sort of diagnose people or help people with stuff like that. Mm. And it just makes the, the healing stuff do more healing. So that's good too. Uh, on that note, something that we've not mentioned is that uh, in the game you do something called the GOAT. Which is like um, like a test that you do that like sets your initial stat. Oh, right. Yeah. At the end, you like hand in the paper to your teacher and he'll go, Oh, right, I've run the results and you're a mechanic, you're a scientist. And like... I think every time I've done it, the teachers had like a different, um, like 
dialogue with the player. So, like, it makes me... Like, they must have put a lot of, like, care into that, that early part for there to be that, that many options. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, and let's go to the weapons, your three favorite weapons in this game. Uh, so, probably uh, Alien Blaster. Oh, I love the Alien Blaster. It's so cool. So, probably Alien Blaster, uh, Shish Kebab, and the Combat Shotgun. Yeah, the combat shotgun never fails, really. Um, I like the Ripper. That that was my favorite. It's like a one-handed sort of sword chainsaw, I guess you'd call oh, it. Oh, yeah, it's pretty sick. Uh, and then the missile launcher, because just the... When you have a missile launcher, the chaos you can create is so great, and, like, you can just clear out areas, but also kill yourself accidentally. Mm. Well, that's the thing that stops me from, like, putting, like, the missile launcher and, like, the fat man in that... I feel like unless you use the vats, it's, like, difficult to use it properly. Yeah, I, I always found myself shooting, like, if they had a wall behind them, I'd aim for the wall behind them, because I knew it would still do as much damage, basically. Because a lot of the time when I tried vats, the missile just goes right by them, and the missiles are so hard to come by in this game, it really feels like it, it sucks when you waste one. And then my third favorite was just frag mines. I forget how, how much of my strategy is just laying frag mines and then getting someone's attention and getting them to, like, <laughs> walk into the frag mines. It's a lot of fun. So you saying that, it reminded me of... So with frag grenades, uh, I'm sure you know this, you can, you can like, put a grenade in someone's pocket and then watch them walk off and then it blows them up. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> Very satisfying. <laughs> Cool. So that's basically it. I always talk about the legacy factor and basically like what what makes this game so replayable to you? What makes it why did you pick this one over New Vegas or even Fallout 2? Like what is what is it about Fallout 3 that makes it stand out to you? I think it's probably all the stuff in the vault uh, at the beginning, you mean? Yeah, I think it's all the stuff in the vault at the beginning and then you have this big it, obviously it's not as impressive on like repeat ones but uh you leave the vault and then the light hit your eyes and you can see the whole wasteland but then like literally the fact that like you say it's in the middle of the map and you can basically go anywhere do any quest at that point if you wanted to you could just go straight from vault 101 if you know where rivet city is just walk straight there meet your dad and then end the game if you wanted or you could go up to the north and then never ever meet him yeah speed runs of this game are really funny to watch because it really does show you how easy it is to do that uh so yeah so i think that that's it that it's the combination of of i think like i say i think that the first three to five hours are like perfect as far as like gameplay of this variety and then after that you're given so much variety yourself of what to do that i think it'd be impossible to do it twice and do everything exactly the same yeah i think the replayability is just off the charts on this one i'm so glad i did play it these past few weeks because like the amount of stuff i'd seen that i'd never seen before it really opened my eyes to just how densely packed this game is and it's funny because I would have said no question New Vegas is my favorite one and I still do think that um, but it's not no question it's really close with this one and the the diff I really came to appreciate the differences between it like like I said I find New Vegas is less immersive with the role play aspect and it is more on rails like it does have a direct path to get you to Vegas and you usually end up taking the same path whereas this really does feel genuinely open world like like I said, just being in the middle of the map and being able to walk in any direction is feels great. It, like for me, the perfect like I'm literally like the other way around where like 
Fallout 3 and like New Vegas is just slightly below it. But like if there was some way of just taking the best of both and put them into one game, like that would easily be my number one. Yeah, my number one game ever, even. I agree. Yeah, very possibly number one ever. I mean, this is, like, when people ask me what my favourite game is, like, this is the first one that I think of, which I think is, I think that that's probably quite rare for someone to be like, this is my favourite game, and I first played it when I was 18. I imagine most people would be like, this is my favourite game, it's Super Mario World, I played it when I was four. Yeah, I always find some, like, it's very tough to dethrone, like, the Chrono Trigger or the Super Mario RPG, because... Those were played in that. It's the same way the imprint, the music you listen to when you're 20 imprints on you the most, because that's when you're youthful and going out. Is like the games you played when you were 10 is when it really imprints on you the hardest. But yeah, man, this has been a lot of fun. I'm sure we missed something. I'm sure once we're done this recording, I'll think of like, damn it, I didn't bring up that. But I, I feel like we did a pretty good job of going through this thing. Yeah. Well, um, if you uh, if you want to do a part two, I'm very happy to do New Vegas. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Maybe down the road. Um, but before we get out of here, plug your stuff, plug your comedy, your YouTube, your Twitch, let them, let them know where to find you. Uh, so I am, uh, Hot Storm Productions, um, which is an anagram of my name, uh, <laughs> and I'm on, I'm on YouTube and I'm on Twitch, uh, and I, I occasionally put stuff on like, you know, Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that, but, um, I put like weekly content out on, on YouTube and they're like, they're travel videos, um, and the, um, the stuff on Twitch is me kind of playing like role-playing games and, and like doing stories and basically, basically just being a bit of an ass and ripping on them as I go. Awesome. That sounds great. And for, for me, it's at D wherever you can do your social medias. Also at G-O-Y-L podcast uh, on Twitter. And thanks for everyone for listening. And we'll get to you next week. Yeah, mate.